On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1184 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. And joining me, as he has many times, but not for a while, is Ben Ladner. Hello, Ben. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. Welcome back. I appreciate you doing this. And for everyone watching on video, you can now see Ben. Uh, as we talked about in the last podcast, we have now launched to where, if not all, most of our episodes will be on YouTube. Uh, I was joined by Glenn Willis on Friday. We talked about all kinds of stuff that's still in the feed right now. And it definitely helps us, even if you're not a huge YouTube watcher. And honestly, I'm not a huge YouTube podcast subscriber. But if you want to help the podcast, please subscribe on YouTube as well. And that really helps us to grow the show. With that out of the way, Ben will be joining me on, I think it's gonna be a two-part episode. But this first episode part, I should say, will be about the Hawks. Probably talk about some Eastern Conference stuff later on as well. And Ben, uh, you are someone who I always say I trust your opinion, even though you're not necessarily on the Hawks beat anymore. I try my best to not uh, put people in positions where they have to talk about the Hawks in depth that don't watch the Hawks. But I know you watch enough to get by and talk to me. So I do appreciate all of your investment. And, you know, the Hawks are under 500 at the All-Star break. I have to ask you as far as a way to get into this thing. Did you expect that? Because I know I didn't. I did not. I did not. I was I was probably a little too bullish on the Hawks coming into the year. I, I think I had them like finishing third in the East or something. That obviously appears like it's not going to happen. Although, you know, things are fluid in the East. You never know. But that seems that seems pretty far fetched at this point. Um, yeah. So under 500, I, I think the there was a reasonable case for like a reasonable world in which that could happen, although the world in which it has happened is not always reasonable um, or rational or whatever, but um, there was like, a, you could see how that could happen, right? Young team coming off a conference finals appearance and, you know, everyone kind of wants to do a little bit more. They want to be a little bit more involved. We saw that with Cam Reddish and it ended up, you know, getting him traded to New York. Guys want bigger roles. They want to take the step forward that they feel like they can coming off of the conference finals run so you could see them taking a step back um, at least in the playoffs if not in the regular season I sort of looked at it like they would sort of kind of pick up where they left off in the regular season and then probably take a step back in the playoffs um, but I, I didn't see this kind of ugly start coming for them you know even their offense early on in the season was kind of a struggle their defense has been a struggle all season um, and I think you know I wasn't expecting them to have like this elite defense or anything but the defense has been even worse than I expected. The offense has been probably even a little better than I expected. But just the, you know, the net uh, kind of gain of that has been, you know, pretty underwhelming. And, and I think probably not commensurate with the talent level of this roster. I think it's been more just kind of a, a question of fit and guys and injuries, of course, have played a role in it, too. But, you know, when healthy, you know, guys not really knowing what their role is, kind of Nate McMillan, have, McMillan having to figure that out guys not being as good as they were last season, guys not being as healthy as they were last season. And all of that has come together to produce just this aggressively underwhelming season. You can imagine how many times I have discussed the like three week COVID um, mania that happened in the middle of the season and how much that affected them. And it, it did, it did affect them more than most teams. And they got pretty unlucky with when it happened too. like, it hit them right after 
the league basically decided to give up <laughs> and it was like, all right, just sign replacement players now. And the, and the Hawks had to do that the entire way. But even with that caveat, like they've obviously been below what they were expected to do, even by you and I, and really even the consensus, which might've been a little bit lower than you and I were, they were still below that at this point. I want to start on the optimistic side, which is the offense. And they're number two in the league in offense right now at the all-star break, which is, if you told me that, I mean, you mentioned it a second ago, if you told me they're going to be number, number two in offense and below 500, that kind of blows my mind, to be honest. Not that we didn't know that they were better on offense than defense, but number two in the league is something uh, totally different. And Trey Young, you know, is Trey Young. He's fantastic. He just had the All-Star weekend uh, showcase to get 10 assists in the All-Star game. I was, uh, I was watching the All-Star game, but I was not exactly dialed in in the way that it normally would be. But I'll just say, like, my personal opinion is that Trey Young has been fantastic this season. Uh, people are going to, I'm sure, attribute some of this underwhelming stuff nationally to like, what's wrong with Trey Young? Why is this team that he's the best player on? Uh, why are they underachieving? But watching this team every night, he is not the problem and hasn't been the problem. He's the same guy um, in some respects in terms of weaknesses and strengths. But in my mind, he's been pretty darn good this year. Uh, this is just a way to get into this. But I want to ask you, like, is he on your all NBA radar right now? Because I think locally it's like, oh, yeah, he's got a pretty good chance. And nationally, I read this stuff like you do, and not many people are like definitely putting Trey on the All-NBA uh, sort of landscape. So I'm wondering if he's up there for you as someone who follows the league. You mean All-NBA just in general? like any? Of yeah, the like teams? any of the three teams, not first oh, team. Yeah, His first team yeah. is probably reserved for Steph and maybe John Morant, something like that. But, uh, yeah, is he, is he in your top six guards right now, the way that they uh, break down the voting? I mean, I don't, I don't know if this is a hot take. I, I had him. I did on the podcast I host. We did our mid-season awards. Whenever. Hi, John. Your co-host. John. Yeah. Hi, John. <laughs> Probably like two, three <laughs> weeks ago. I don't know how long ago. Uh, I had him first team All NBA at that point. I mean, I think if if you're, I love that. Although, I might have made LeBron a guard and finagled that, which might have. Yeah, the whole him. positional stuff. I mean, this the, th- the thing about Demar yeah. Derozan being a uh, an All Star starter at guard, despite not yeah. playing a single minute at guard this season. I really, really enjoyed that. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it's um, all about who's. It's all about who's eligible. Like, is Demar a guard? Is LeBron right. a guard? Is Luca a guard? Like all these guys, like who plays where it doesn't matter. Well, and I remember last year I had Devin Booker as a third team forward, which, like, Creative. in what world does he play for? But he was eligible <laughs> there. So anyway, um, no, I think Trey. If you're just going off of, if you're sticking to the positional classifications, and you're saying it's Steph is obviously first team All NBA, we don't have to discuss him. But if the rest of the candidates are. James Harden, Trey Young, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Ja Morant. I'm not sure he's not the best player out or hasn't been the best player this season out of that group. I, you could make a case for Ja Morant. You could make a case for Chris Paul. I don't, maybe James, I don't I actually don't think you could make a case for James Harden this season. Yeah. I think Trey Young has just been a better version of what James Harden does. I think he's been better than Ja Morant. Uh, I think he's clearly been better than maybe DeMar DeRozan, but. To me, Trey has been the third best offensive player in basketball this year, pretty clearly. And if you want to say that his poor defense drags down his value, which I think it does, if you want to say that drags him down to like a second or third team All-NBA level, I think that's completely fair. But I think, I mean, I would be surprised if he's not on one of the three All-NBA teams. And and I, I as you know, don't pay a ton of attention to the, the general <laughs> discourse about these sorts of things. Um for reasons you're better that, off that way by the way just yeah because every anytime i do it just frustrates me but so i i haven't paid as much attention to that but i think the idea of leaving trey young off of any of the all nba teams is pretty pretty asinine if, if i can if i can be so bold as to use that word 
I love um, that. I mean, I, I think I think there's really no statistical case. And when you watch it too, I mean, there, there's just no there's no argument to me that there have been six better guards in the NBA this year. I totally agree. And, you know, I do monitor the discourse more than you do. And I also try to be practical in some respects. Like if it's me filling out a ballot, which I don't have, and neither do you, unfortunately, at this point in time, maybe you'll have one eventually, Ben. I'll, I'll never have one, but you might That's have the one. goal. <laughs> um, I would certainly have him in my top six, like pretty clearly. Um, I might even have him second team. I think I probably wouldn't have him first team because of the team stuff. And I, I think it does matter in some respects. Like there's a school thought argument on how much team success should matter for all NBA. But I do know this, and so do you, even if someone's not paying attention to this, there are definitely voters that would not, that would certainly penalize him for being on a 28 and 30 basketball team right now. Oh, 100%. Um, We've heard that, um, especially at all NBA. I feel like that's even treated differently than all stars sometimes too. Like I've heard people that I think are smart who just really value winning teams on all NBA, which I can kind of see both sides of that. For me, I don't blame Trey for the record. I think he has been the reason they've been winning more so than the reason they've been losing, if that makes sense. Yeah. So well, the thing, uh, yeah, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but, no. but the thing to me is you, you look at how are the Hawks succeeding and how are they failing? Yep. The reason that, to the extent that they are having success, it's because like you said, they have a top three offense. They have one of the best offenses in the NBA and Trey young is the reason that they have one of the best offenses in the NBA. So the thing that he brings to the table is translating to them succeeding in those areas. And of course, the things that he doesn't bring to the table, that's part of the of why they're failing. So you can make that argument too. But I mean, I mean if you really believe that Trey Young is the reason the Hawks are 27th mm-hmm. in defense, fine, penalize him for that. I happen true. to think that they have worse <laughs> problems than that. And he's just, you know, he's the most noticeable part, but not necessarily the most damaging part of that. But clearly he is the primary and almost exclusive reason that they have a top three offense. And, you know, that's like, that's what he does. The things that he is good at are the things that the Hawks are good at as a team. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. I want to keep asking about the offense and then we'll get to the defense eventually. Unfortunately for Hawks fans, the defense is kind of looming. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show today. By now, I've usually given up on all my resolutions for the New Year's and not this year, though. I'm sticking to my resolutions to eat right. And that is thanks to Bill Barr. Built Bar is fantastic, and honestly, it's not like a real resolution in some respects because I actually enjoy eating Built Bar. Have you tried the Puffs? Because if you haven't, you're missing out on all the best tasting Built Bars that there are, in my opinion. They have protein-infused marshmallows. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy, and they're not just a protein bar. They're an actual treat, and they have 100% real chocolate to boot. All Built Bars actually are covered in 100% real chocolate. That is obviously very important for taste purposes, and they are low-calorie, high-protein. You can replace your candy bars with them. They're even better, and honestly, a lot more nutritious as well. Most Bill Bars contain very few calories. They have four grams of sugar, only four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. If you compare that to, to a candy bar, it's not even close. And Built Bar is also tasting fantastic between all the new flavors, including white chocolate cookies and cream. They're delicious, and all the new flavors come out all the time. And even if you can, honestly, if you haven't found a new one just that you like just net, all the uh, classics are still available for you. At Built Bar, they're all about the taste. And the taste is king, but also they're nutritious. You go to built.com, use the promo code LOCK15, 15% off of your order with Built Bar. That is built.com for promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your order at built.com. One more time, it's LOCKED15 at built.com. All right, Ben, uh, the offense is clearly in a trade is the number one reason why they're really good. Um, but it's not just him. 
to be fair to everyone involved. Uh, it, you can't have a number the number two overall offense with one elite player. They have um, other strengths to be sure. They have good shooting. They have John Collins is one of the best players in the league, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but this is sort of an interesting question. That's more of a big picture one. But since you're here, um, there's this debate that even I was asked on radio this week. This is just one example. Um, they were like, you know, the question was basically the Hawks are really good on offense. But there's this whole discussion about a second star, whether they have to have a second star in the playoffs, all this stuff. It's not a new argument by any means, but it's kind of an interesting debate to have right now, particularly because the second star thing is focused on offense the majority of the time. It's like, all right, you have to have a second guy. But you look at the stats and the Hawks are so good on offense, it's like hard to make that argument right now. But do you think that the Hawks can be a perennial contending team without a second quote unquote star? Because right now they clearly don't have that guy, even though I'm, I'm huge on John Collins. I think he's like a top 40 player in the league but he isn't a top 20 player in the league, a top 15 player in the league. Do they have to have that guy long-term? I'm not, I'm not even saying throw this year out, but in general, like, you know, you see where I'm going with this? It's kind of like chicken and the egg thing. Do you, they're already so good at offense, but they yeah. could be better if they had that guy. And even I would say like, there are times on offense when they bog down because teams can throw doubles and even triples at trade sometimes and get them out of things. So I wonder where you stand on that. Yeah, it's, it's a really fascinating thing because I, I i think there are a lot of kind of levels to it I, I think they do need someone to take the pressure off of trey against those traps and double teams or just nights that he doesn't have it and you just need some more firepower i don't think that player needs to be a star i don't think it, that needs to be a top 15 20 or even like top 30 play like if the hawks had lonzo ball that then they're good like that's the level be, of player be a good fit need. I mean, He'd there's that great... whole Mike Marcus Smart thing that people have talked about forever. Derek Marcus White. Smart, Derek White, you yeah. know, like that type of player, the the sort of not a three and D guard, but like a playmaking and D guard. That's the type of player. But that doesn't need to be a top, even top 30 player in the NBA. I think to the extent that they need a second star, it's it's like you need a guy who's an elite defender because that's obviously the big weakness of this team. We we know based off of years of evidence and this year in particular that you can have a great offense with Trey Young on the floor. That's what you need. It's it's almost it's it would almost be a waste of resources to get another high level offensive player to put next to Trey Young because how much higher can that player take you offensively? If you're already elite, I think you run into some diminishing returns if you want to put another especially a ball dominant second star offensively next to Trey Young. Um and part of that is Trey's own limitations as a guy who's not really playing off the ball. He's really he kind of plays one way and he's really good at that one way, but it does kind of limit the the amount of paths that you have to offensive success. Yeah. That said, the path that the Hawks have is is clearly a successful one. So I think if the Hawks do need a, another top 15 player or 20, whatever you want to set the number as, it's a defensive player. They need like an elite defender, uh, you know, not saying that this would happen necessarily, but like a Rudy Gobert type, just a, an, an elite defensive player who can anchor your defense, cover up for what Trey doesn't do well, cover up for what the rest of the roster doesn't do well. And sort of in the same way that Trey elevates the team to that high offensive floor, someone who can elevate the team to that high defensive floor, regardless of the surrounding personnel. Those guys are pretty hard to find. So I don't know if if the Hawks are you know realistically going to be able to get that guy. Um, but it, th to the point of they need another high-level offensive player to put next to Trey Young. I mean, I, I think in theory, like diversifying the offensive structure and and approach could, like in theory, that makes sense. I just think the numbers kind of bear out that that 
wouldn't necessarily that that's not what they need really, you know, cause they're already yeah. so good on offense playing this way. No, I, I totally see where you're coming from. And when people say that to me, I always kind of push back on the offense first or offense only guys. Like there's always been this thought about like pairing Trey young with Bradley Beal or pairing Trey young with, I don't even know, pick another guy. Donovan Mitchell has been a popular one recently. Cause yeah. like, there's this rumbling that he might, but like, yeah, I'm not saying that you you're suddenly worse with those guys. They're really good players. They're stars. But if, if it's me, I would not want to pair Trey Young with another small ball dominant guard. That doesn't make any sense. To, I mean, who sucks I, on defense? Yeah, I, I get the theory of just bringing in the talent and you try to just have the best offense of all time. And I I guess that may be a working theory, but like kind of like what you said, they're already so good on offense that maybe they get a little bit better if you bring in Donovan Mitchell or Bradley Beal. But defensively, that might even make you worse than you are right now, and you're already bad. So it's uh, yeah, for me, it's it's the guys that like your Jalen Brown types. Not that he's a great defender, but he's yeah. a guy who can play defense and be your number two in offense. That's the kind of player I'd be looking for. Of course, everyone's looking for Jalen Brown. That's that's not a revolutionary thought. But every time I get asked about one of those small guards or one of those offense first players, like for a while there was Carl Anthony Towns, and it was like okay. This cat, you know, he's a better defender than some of those guys that we just talked about, but he's still a limited defensive player. And yeah, it would be one heck of an offense with Trey Young and Carl Anthony Towns, but can you stop anybody? I don't know the answer to that. And you talked about Rudy Gobert. Click Appello was not Rudy Gobert last season, but he was like 5%, 10% worse. He like close. he was he had the best year, yeah. the best, best year of his career. And even with Clint Capella being legitimately an all-defensive candidate in my mind, like he was a top probably six, seven defender in, in basketball last season, mm -hmm. they were still like 17th in defense for the full year. Like, and he was that good on defense. And it's because he was doing anything he could do, but on the perimeter, and again, it's not just Trey. I want to stress, and I know you, you agree with me on this. It's not just Trey. Point guard defense, he's bad. He is a negative. No one's saying otherwise. But in my mind, he can be the same way he is now defensively, and you can build an adequate defense but you can't have huge weaknesses elsewhere. And the Hawks have been playing too many guys this season who are negatives elsewhere, whether it be Bogdanovich, who struggled pretty badly defensively in my mind this year, whether it's Gallinari, who is quite flammable defensively at this point. And even behind Trey, when he's off the floor, like Lou Williams is obviously really bad on defense. Yeah, there are lineups around him. Like if you put Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, and Clint Capella around Trey Young, you can play defense with that group but that's kind of your only group <laughs> that you can play yeah. around him and play well defensively. So I don't know. I mean, it's just this double-edged sword, but I think we're kind of on the same page. Like the offense is not the problem that speaks for itself in the numbers and working on the margins, because you know, the, the logical question after this season, if you assume it's going to be this kind of disappointing campaign where maybe they make playoffs, but they're losing the first round. It's like, all right, what now? Because the same, the same team is under contract for next season. They could run it back if they wanted to. It's just kind of hard to do that when you've just had this 500-ish kind of season. And, of course, the question everybody asks me on radio or whatever is, like, what do they do now? And it's like, all right, well, I'm not, I'm not in charge of transactions. I can't tell you exactly what they're going to do. But I will say, and I have said, it will surprise me if they run it back. Like, I think they're going to move on from somebody, whether it be Bogdanovich. You know, Gallo's kind of the obvious one. Maybe yeah. even Capella, because they have a Kong Wu kind of ready to go in that, in that role. They have some stuff they can do. But um, I think we agree. It's like it's the defense, the defense, and the defense. Yeah, yeah. It, it, to me, the Gallinari is someone they probably should have looked, and maybe they did, and they just couldn't get a deal done. They, but they kind of looked. I think. Yeah. Yeah, someone they should have looked to move at the deadline. Like, like I, the framework I was thinking of was like Gallinari for Gary Harris, 
some plus you know Gallinari plus whatever you need to add for the match. There, there was a on. there was a Goran Dragic rumor out there where they uh, where Toronto was asking for Gallo for Dragic, and I think the Hawks mm-hmm. said no. I think I think that's probably the right move to say no to that. I agree, but it's like that's kind of a similar thought process. And yeah, you know, Nate McMillan is also the domino here. He's not personnel in charge, like he's the head coach, and they've kind of run their offense through Gallo a lot in second unit. I think he's mm-hmm. I think he kind of likes that, but. As much as I do value Gallo's offense uh, defensively, it's it is what it is at yeah. this point. Yeah, it's and the other thing going back to the like the general question, I think the the way to think of it is, you know, let's say you do add a second Bradley Beal or something, like what shots is Bradley Beal creating that Trey Young does not already create? And <laughs> yeah. to me, the answer is not not good ones. You know, like he's not adding more than like a five percent boost of efficient offense to what they already have. And so it's not like you said, it's not that, Oh, Donovan Mitchell or Bradley Beal would make the Hawks worse offensively, but it's the opportunity cost. If you spend whatever resources it takes to get one of those guys, money, draft picks, players on your current team, then that is, those are now resources that you cannot spend on a defensive player, which is what, which is more the more pressing need, right? So it's, it's more about the opportunity cost and, and I guess the diminishing returns, if I, I'm starting to sound like an, econ- an economist or something, but um, it, it's more about that kind of stuff than it is about just the raw gain that someone would give you. Of course, a, another top 15 offensive player would make the Hawks better, but at what cost and to what end? I think that's those are the more relevant questions. Yeah, and if you're the Hawks, I've long sort of you know defended the Atlanta market. I think it's a bigger market. People realize that it is. It's a major city. But if you're the Hawks, you probably only get one chance at one of those all-in kind of trades. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not a situation where you can make that move and then the next time it comes around, like, you're not the Lakers. Like, every three years, you're not going to have this opportunity presented to you where a guy wants to come to your team. Like, you probably you only have one You can't screw up every possible decision and still get LeBron James. It's exactly what I was uh, kind of referring to there. But, yes, yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> it is what it is, but uh, I think that's probably uh, that's a prudent discussion. Um, all right, before we get to my last little topic on the Hawks here, we're from our sponsors on the show today. Football is over for this year, which is unfortunate, of course, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, and where the next coach might be headed, betonline.net is the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of the sports scores, the podcasts, and the news this season. It's not just basketball either, even if we love basketball in this space, but online is also your source for hockey and boxing and soccer, and auto racing, UFC, baseball when it happens, et cetera, et cetera, all the way up to the Olympic coverage that's uh, been happening in the last couple of weeks. Head to the website right now, Ben online, or use a mobile device to learn more about the trends and all of the action this season. One more time, check out betonline.net, betonline, where the game starts. All right, Ben. Um, I want to ask you kind of the rest of the season question that is very obviously lingering out there. The Hawks are currently in a tie for ninth during the All-Star break with the Hornets. Um, They're, I guess, a game behind in the loss column. Sorry, they're a game ahead of the loss column of Charlotte. Um, Charlotte's played two more games than Atlanta is. But, um, you know, the percentages are what they are. I've sort of rolled them out for people. Uh, The chances for the Hawks to get in the top six are sub 5% in the projections at this point. Um, and not only because they have to win a bunch of games, but because they have to have four teams go behind them. That's the toughest thing about this. Like they're only quote unquote five games behind the sixth spot, but there are four teams ahead of them for that spot. That's what makes mm-hmm. it hard. So I have to ask you, like, no, we know right now, and there's some uncertainty with John Collins as we, as we speak, like he's had this injury. He missed the last three games. We don't have an update on him. So kind of bake that in, I guess, a little bit. 
but what are you expecting from the Hawks? Not necessarily a record, but like, can they make a run at the eight seed? You know, they're two and a half games behind Brooklyn. That's kind of what I'm targeting. I think it's kind of as high as you can realistically project the Hawks to get to might be the eight seed. And maybe that depends on what Kevin Durant's status is. But uh, what do you see the rest of the year from the Hawks? Yeah, well, you mentioned two of the big or one of the big variables with Brooklyn and Durant and and Kyrie, you know, and and not to mention Ben Simmons, who is now on the Brooklyn Nets. And, and might that, play pretty soon, I guess. I'm assuming yeah, he's maybe we, we don't we'll know. Um, but that integration process and, you know, because the thing like Ben Simmons is probably coming back before Kevin Durant, although who knows, but like they might hold would, him out until Durant play. That, that's a popular it, notion that maybe they hold him it out. Could, until Durant comes back. Yeah, that would certainly maybe um, help them avoid the issue that I was going to describe, which is they're going to have to integrate Simmons and then they're going to have to integrate Durant back into that mix with, into which Simmons is already trying to get familiar which just puts a lot of moving parts into a, a team that's already pretty unstable as is even with Durant you know could you know, he, he obviously helped stabilize them a lot but you know even with him in the lineup they were still kind of you know you don't necessarily know what you're getting from the Nets on a nightly basis the other variable I think is Toronto who currently has the seven seed at 32 and 25 I just worry that they're gonna I mean we'll, we'll talk more about this in part two I'm sure as we get to the rest yeah. of the east but I just wonder if they're going to kind of break down as the season goes on. I, I like Playing the seven Thad guys Young. every night. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they can play yeah. Thad young now, so he gives them a little bit more depth, but you know, he's not like, he's not Pascal Siakam in the sense that you can play him at the three or the five. I mean, he kind of gives you like Nick nurse is a mad scientist, so he'll play him all kind of all over the place, but he doesn't have quite as much positional versatility. And so it's not like a, you know, just a, a wild card that you're bringing off the bench, like an at-large player. You can just plug him in anywhere. He's more of a position-specific type of guy. So he's not expanding their depth in quite the way that, you know, maybe a more versatile option could. And I like that young in Toronto, but I still think that their rotation is pretty tight down the rest of the season, and they've already played some of their best players a million minutes. You know, I think like four out of the top six leaders in, in minutes per game yeah. are crazy. on Toronto. And so... Do they break down and fall in the standings a little bit? Do, does all of that wear and tear maybe contribute to, I mean, hopefully not, but one of their key players suffering an injury that they might not have suffered if they'd been more well-rested? I'm not enough of a medical expert to speculate on that accurately, but like we have seen that kind of wear and tear contribute to some long-term injuries or just guys getting tired. Like Scotty Barnes is a rookie. He, I mean, he, and he's playing all these minutes. Is he going to hit a rookie wall and all of a sudden one of your most productive players goes from, you know, being this great rotation player to a guy who isn't so productive, you know? So they're a question mark to me. I think they've obviously been better than the Hawks this year. And I think they are probably better than the Hawks in a vacuum, but you know, it could that wear and tear contribute to some decline for them and maybe give the Hawks more of an Avenue. The flip side of that is a team like Boston, who I think got a lot better at the trade deadline added to their depth and is now hitting their stride and and is on this upward trajectory where they could create even more separation between them and the Hawks. And so even if, you know, Atlanta gets up and makes a run here, is there just too much of a of a barrier at that 6 seed? Is Boston too much of a you know, too high above where the Hawks could end up for them to get into that top 6 and avoid the play in altogether? So I agree. I think 8 seed is probably the goal if you can get up to 7 and host that play in game. I think that's ideal that's on the table but i think right now it's it's kind of just like get a play-in spot hopefully not the 10 seed and <laughs> yeah. and just win games like i don't think this team is good enough to be like 
we're above the play-in or something. You know, I no, mean, this, I, is a, this is a play-in team right now. Yeah, I think that if you're the Hawks and they've been saying this, name it Millen on down, they've been saying our goal was get, is to get in the top six. And that's what they should say. I mean, if if they were to go, let's just say on the high side, they make a they go 19 and five the rest of the way, which is not something you can project. Even if you were the biggest Hawks fan in the world, you can't flat out project 19 and five for basically any good. team. Like 19 and five is extremely, extremely good. Now the Hawks do have a pretty favorable schedule. It's like five or six easiest in the league, depending on the takeathon projections, whatever you want to say. So that's that's part of it. But let's just say they go 19 and five, which again is a 95th percentile outcome for the rest of the season. That takes them to 47 wins. 47 wins may not be enough for the six seed. Like Boston, if Boston goes 13 and uh, 13 and nine, they have 47 wins. And Boston is probably a 13 and nine or better team right yeah. now on paper. So like that, that's just to illustrate how much of a climb they have. And then that doesn't even factor in maybe Toronto stays hot. Maybe Brooklyn gets right and goes on a winning streak. Whatever you want to say, having both the deficit and the teams in front of you makes it hard. And that, I mean, I'm not going to make you project how many wins the Hawks will have the rest of the season in their last 24 games. But I think, you know, they're even with Charlotte right now. I would say I would project the Hawks to finish ahead of the Hornets. I think the Hawks are better than the Hornets. I think that they're starting, they're starting even with them, which is crucial. So for me, the most, the single most likely spot for the Hawks to land, if you just use your math brain is ninth, because they're currently two and a half games behind Brooklyn. And that's, even if you think the Hawks are better than the Nets right now, and because, by the way, without Kevin Durant, the Hawks are better than the Nets. But we don't know when Kevin Durant's <laughs> coming back. Uh, they've been terrible without Kevin Durant. Like that's that's worth saying. Like if he's still out for another three, four weeks, they might be ahead of the Nets by the time he comes back. That's in play, which is why I'm saying maybe the eight seed is the more the more attainable one. I'm kind of with you on Toronto, but also Toronto beat the Hawks twice already. Now yeah. they're two and zero, oh, so it's not like you couldn't even the season series and the tiebreaker stuff comes into play there, but you know, less margin for error and it's four and a half games, but, and maybe I actually might, I might think that the Hawks finish with a better record the rest of the way than the Raptors do just because of what you said about the minutes load, but are they going to finish five games better than the Raptors the rest of the season? That's not as likely. Let's just, say. yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I still think I would probably have the Hawks finishing something like 500, maybe something like 42 and 40 would be where I'd have them like 14 and 10 the rest of the way I get to 42 and 40. That's by the way, much better than they've been so far. That, that doesn't sound very, uh, very uh, overwhelmingly positive, but 14 and 10 would be a large step up from what they've played so far. So like something like 42, 43 wins is pretty realistic in my mind, but that probably takes you to the, maybe the eight seed, probably the nine seed. Yeah. I was going to say 42 as well. I think that's probably the target number. And even that, I mean, we're talking about, getting a top six seed as being somewhat unrealistic. I think coming into the year, this if you would ask the Hawks for their expectations, they would have said top home four. court advantage, you yeah. know? And so we're the, the goalposts are being kind of lower or the, the bar is being lowered, the goalposts are being moved, whatever. And, and that's what happens. I mean, this is, it's very simple and not to cut you off, but this is the price you pay for having yeah. a bad start. Like, even if I believe, and I, I, I really do think the Hawks are still, pretty much the team that I thought they were going to be coming into the season in terms of what I would expect moving forward. You can't just wave away 28 and 30. Like it matters. The slow start matters. And that's unfortunate. And yeah, you might give them a small mulligan for the three week COVID period. But even if you were to remove that from the equation, they're still below where they should be in my mind. So yeah. that's, that's the price you pay. I mean, 
and there's this there's this narrative from last year where like yeah they had this great run post All Star break. And I've said this before on the show. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna repeat myself, but last year's break was in the dead middle of the season. This year's break is 70% <laughs> through the season. So even yeah. if they go on a run right now, like we just talked about 19 and five, that's a crazy run. And it gets them to like basically their over under for the preseason four, seven wins. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think another consequence of the Derek white trade here is not only that I like that trade a lot for Boston and, and not only do I think that the Hawks could have really used Derek white, Yes. But it's it's because he goes if, if from a Hawks perspective, because he doesn't go to the Hawks, not only did the Hawks sort of miss out on potentially an, a, a really high level impact player, but that high level impact player went to a team that is sort of in direct comp or was at the time in direct competition with the Hawks for that general playoff range and now might yeah. have even put themselves above and created the the separation between themselves and the Hawks that Derek White could have helped the Hawks make up. You know what I mean? So it, it kind of cuts both ways um, for the, for the Hawks. They're like, not only are they missing out on his production, but a team that the Hawks really didn't want to have that production now gets it. And so uh, it, it kind of makes, makes the incline on the, on the mountain they're climbing all the more, you know, all, all the more high. Absolutely. And I, I try to, stress that it's not me being pessimistic because like I said, I think the Hawks are going to be better the rest of the way than they've been so far, but the hole is what it is. And the obstacles are what they are. And like, yeah, do I think that maybe they could outplay Toronto the rest of the season? Yes, they could, but four and a half games is four and a half games with a small, small window to make them up. Um, so not to hold your feet to the fire, but it sounds like you would probably have them ninth if I had to make you choose right now in terms of the rest of the season projection. So be, beating Charlotte and but not doing quite enough to overcome Toronto and Brooklyn. Is that where you have them? Yeah, I I may be a little lower on Brooklyn than even you are. I I mean, like you said, they've been bad. It's all about when Durant comes back. I mean, I swear yeah. to you. Like if I if you told me he was out for a month, I would give the Hawks maybe even the edge despite a two and a half game. And that's not a small thing. Being two and a half games back with twenty four to play is a big deal. Yeah. But they've been so bad without Durant that I would probably have the Hawks ahead. But if Durant plays in two weeks, they were, you know, if you go back this far, they, they have been good anytime Kevin Durant has been playing yeah. for two years, basically like yeah. they're quite good. I'll say, I mean, take this with a grain of salt, obviously, because of what we said about the unknowability of this, but I'll sure. say the Hawks finish eighth, partly because, I you know we don't really know about Durant's injury and he has an injury history. I would try to play that safe if I were Brooklyn. Although, you know Durant seems like he wants to play as many minutes as humanly possible, so <laughs> maybe that factors in. I'm also just not as high on Durant as a player and his impact as a lot of people seem to be. So I, you know, maybe that comes into play here. Um, I'll I'll say it's like a toss up between the Nets and Hawks for eight and nine, and then Toronto probably stays put at seven. And I think Charlotte's 10. I I was going to mention, you know, is there a possibility Washington kind of oh. sneaks in from underneath? I think they're just so bad right now. And, and the Knicks are bad. The Pacers, yeah. Detroit, Orlando, obviously. It's kind of weird how, like, little I care about those teams. Because they're not that... Yeah. Honestly, the Hawks are closer to the Wizards than they are to the Nets. And they're closer... Like, that's where... Yeah. This, that's where the, the Hawks are actually closer to the Knicks in the standings than they are to the Raptors. <laughs> And but, yet it feels like they're so far apart. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't, I don't worry. I mean, maybe I'm going to jinx them here. I don't worry about, especially the Knicks. The Knicks, I think, are kind of DOA. The Wizards are only a game behind the Hawks. 
but there's just nothing on that team that I could look at and be like, yeah, yeah they're going to catch the Hawks. I just don't see it at all. I mean, they had a great start to the season that kind of surprised everyone, and I'd never believed it, but it happened. I mean, they won the games, but I, I just don't see them doing much. Yeah, I mean, their best player is out for the season, and their star like free agent acquisition got traded to the Mavs. And is Porzingis going to play? I mean, I, I don't we, know yeah, if we he's don't going to play. Does it matter if he plays? I mean, I mean, he's. I think he's still a pretty good basketball player, but like impact wise, on that he's team, gonna, yeah, I don't think he's going to change you know? their fortunes a ton. Yeah. So uh, no, I'm with you. So yeah, I think that we're kind of in the same place here. Like, if Durant was playing today, I would definitely not see the Hawks passing the Nets. But if he's out for a while, I could totally see that. And listen. I do think that there is a non-zero real chance that the Hawks do go like 18 and six the rest of the way. I, I wouldn't project that. But we've, we've seen this group get hot like that before. And that's probably a little bit more like, especially locally, you can imagine this, Ben, there's been a lot of references to that. Well, what, you know, this team has done this before. So they're, and I, it's true. They did do it before, but they don't, it could also be a crutch because if you're just watching this, this year's team, there isn't a whole lot to tell you that's going to, that that's coming to be honest with you. Um, it's just the memory. And I get this. There's the memory of that last year run with the same core, the same cast of characters. So it's possible, but in terms of like percentage chance that they went, that they go 18 and six, it's, it's not very high in my mind. So we'll see. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. And, and yeah, it comes down to health too. I mean, that's, that's yeah. kind of the, the unspoken thing of this is just Deandre Hunter missed a lot of time early in the season Clint Capella seemed to be dealing with he had the Achilles thing early, right? Yeah, he they they had and this is kind of underplay. I talked about it a lot at the time, but they had four piece four of their guys that were their core pieces. It was Capella, Bogdanovich, Herder, Kongwu, that all came into training camp basically not having played basketball all summer. Yeah. And, and Collins like, is out now. I mean, yeah, it's, and it's, yeah, now Collins is out, yeah. but like the slow start, I'm not saying it was like totally foreseeable, but if you remember the context of like particularly Capella and how important he is to not be himself for like a month at the outside of the season really hurt them. Hunter, there's a whole discussion about this that we can have another time, but Hunter, Hunter, the, the idea of Hunter versus the practical reality of Hunter right now is pretty far apart in terms of like the metrics do not like DeAndre Hunter right now. If you look at that. That's just one thing, but like, you know, he's not quite the guy that they probably need him to be right now every single night. There's a whole other thing. So yeah, I'm with you. I think there's, a, there's probably a run coming but telling you what kind of run it's going to be, whether it's going to be, you know, 14 and 10 or 19 and five is those are uh, meaningfully different the rest of the way. Yeah. I, I find it really interesting the, that the Phoenix Suns, who have by far the best record in the NBA and have been by far the best team in the NBA this season, have won 18 of their last 19 games. And they the one the loss is to the under 500 Hawks. I mean, like I that kind of tells you all you need to know about this year's Hawks team. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, it didn't feel fluky. They just played well. No, they and played. I watched that game. They played well. It was a it was a national game. It's a home game. Good crowd. They just played well. And it was like, you look around like, yeah, this is a game the Hawks should do. They should play this way more. And then within a week of that, they're losing at home to the Spurs by like 20. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that's that's a real, I, I know in the last two weeks, people are listening to this podcast are rolling their eyes. I've kind of probably gone too far on this, but that is a game that I cannot believe they lost and in the way that they lost it. And I'm not someone who dwells on these single results very often, but to come out after all of this, you make this huge run in the standings. You won a bunch of games in a row. You're playing an undermanned Spurs team, post deadline, no Derek White, et cetera. And you're down like 25 in the first half. It's like, how, why are you, this is a microcosm of the Hawks season. Anyway, 
Yeah, um, it does it all. It does. Well, Ben, that's enough on this particular episode. We're going to bring you back for part two slash later in the week. But before we do that, please plug yourself. You have a podcast that we referenced earlier. You do written content as well. That is uh, fantastic. So where people find your stuff? I know you don't really tweet very often, but your Twitter handle is on, on the screen on YouTube. I'll tell you that right now. So There you go. You've given away <laughs> the secret there. You've told people how they can find me. Um, well, real quick before I, I get into that, I did want to mention one thing that I found really interesting. I don't know what to make of this i just i think it's really interesting love it the hall okay so trey young has a 39 and a half percent usage rate right the Wait, second high 39 and a half that's like a, that's obscenely high on cleaning the glass so filtering oh, okay. garbage yeah, okay. and Got and it. their usage rates like are chris higher. paul has yeah. like a sub 20 usage on basketball reference and like 25 on cleaning the glass yeah okay i was i was thinking of basketball reference and i was like wait 40 percent usage is like ridiculous yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> moving on go ahead so so adjust your you know calibrate your your uh your scales differently here a little bit, but Trey has a 39 and a half percent usage. Cam Reddish had a 21.7 usage when he was on the team. He is obviously no longer on the team. He is not. Lou Williams has a 24% usage and no one else is over 20. So essentially Trey is like tops in the league in usage rate. Lou Williams is like normal backup point guard scorer type of usage. And no one else is using more than a fifth of the possessions. Yep. I think like if I just looked at those numbers and you asked me to guess is this a good thing or is this, is this having positive or negative impact on the Hawks? I would say probably negative and yet top three in offense. They're re they're really good with Trey on the floor. I mean, it seems like just putting the ball in his hands, every possession is working, but it also feels like maybe they should diversify a little bit. Could they get more out of the team as a whole, especially in the playoffs? If they try that approach, I don't know like what the answer is or what that stat even means. Any means if it means anything, but it, it strikes me every time I, I look at the Hawks on cleaning the glass is just like such a, a chasm between Trey and everyone else. And maybe it should be that way, but I don't know. It also feels like between some of the other guys they have on this roster, maybe the best way to get the best version of Bogdan Bogdanovich is to empower him a little bit more. And, and, you know, same with Kevin Hurd or those types of guys. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. And I, I think that recently Bogdanovich's usage has gone up. Um, and he's been a little bit better for it, but, you know, taking it back to where we were before in this conversation, they have a bunch of play finishers and they don't really have a lot of play creators like Lou Williams. That's his only value is that he can run a pick and roll and have the ball in his hands and score and pass. Right. But other than him, like you go up and down the list, even as, even as high as John Collins, who is a really good player, he's still more of a play finisher than a creator. Um, Herder is the same thing. He can do it a little bit, but not much the same thing. Gallinari in, a post, in, in the post can do it a little bit, but they don't have another guy that you could say can play number one with Trey because Lou, Lou and Trey does not work. I don't care yeah. what anybody says, it doesn't work. They try it, they still try it, and it doesn't work. But they don't have anybody else on the team that can play alongside Trey. But Donovich is the closest thing they have, which is a point that I made, I think, on last week's show. Um, like if you're trying to figure out who the number two is in terms of just like, Per, you know, shot creation, like hand the ball to a guy, go get a shot. It's Bogdanovich is their next best option. And I'm not sure that's good enough to be honest with you, but he's been good. He's been good. He's been good recently. So that's a good, it's a good, it's a good yeah. point by you though. The, the, the chasm is just insane. And the reddish thing, I mean, if we're being honest, Cam's usage was far too high when way he was, too high. When he was <laughs> playing too. So him being the only guy there is like kind of telling as well. Um, yeah. All right, Ben. Well, thank you for that. That was, a, that was a good insight. That one. I'm sure we, Thank I was you. probably Thank me you. being a bad host. We didn't get to that before that. So my, that's my apology. No, it's okay. I, I, I um, was, I was looking for a, you were a scrolling. way to bring it up. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I get it. Um, 
Well, now that I've done the whole thing again, but please plug yourself, Ben. Sure. Yeah. yeah beyond yeah. Twitter. And people are not all watching this on YouTube. Some people are listening to this on, on podcasts as well. So keep that in mind. Yeah. So at bladner underscore on Twitter, um, that's, you're, you're not, you're not going to find much more than just links. Um, links are good on there, but like you links. know, if you're interested in those links, that's probably the best place to find them. Uh, doing a lot of writing for the step back, uh, pretty much weekly columns breaking down just stuff that I find interesting about the NBA. So if you're interested in that um, and then read and react NBA podcast, uh, if you want some, some general NBA talk, we try to go as in depth as possible on as many things as we can across the entire NBA. So if you're looking for some, uh, some, some more kind of nuanced analysis of the league as a whole, you can hopefully find it there. And uh, yeah, that's about it. I love the word nuance, Ben. I use it all the time. It's dead in this industry for the most part, and I appreciate the lost art. Just like the you, uh, you bringing mid range, mid range. <laughs> you bringing nuance to the table. Um, all right, that's enough for this episode of the podcast. We're going to bring Ben back later this week, so please stay tuned. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, also on YouTube if you're watching or if you just want to support the show. And uh, we'll see you all next time.